You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! up we're back baby another episode of the x-man podcast i'm your host doc coil thank you so much for checking out the program bit of a scary week y'all scary week uh wasn't sure if i was going to talk about this but i kind of feel like i i have to i don't know uh i can't help but have the uh that little fracas or a big fracas uh with uh the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Like, like you feel like you tuned into this. You're like, you didn't. I didn't come here for this doc. Came here to hear rockers. <laughs> but some things are so they're so historically prescient. I feel like uh, it's it's so top of mind, right? Like any so that some of these moments, it feels like speaking about anything anything else would be um, ignoring the the elephant in the room, as it were. And yeah, I, I I just find events like this to just be like, oh, this is going to affect things in our world or the world uh, to some degree for decades to come. And so it's important to acknowledge that. And um, a term that's being utilized a lot that I think is is accurate is the term reactionary, which... I think is appropriate for how how we we absorb these stories. And one thing I try and remind myself and I kind of Im- implore others to to utilize when they're uh trying to understand, you know, uh world matters of grave consequence is that anytime something happens uh, a news item at the beginning, you know the least, but are kind of the most emotionally um, pushed and kind of affected by it. So in some ways, your your initial reaction often is the worst reaction. So sometimes it's a good thing to like see something happening and, and developing, try and inform yourself to the best ability, and then reserve judgment until more facts come in. And with issues like foreign policy these are they're very complex you know you're talking about some of these issues you have to have a good understanding of of history of geography of anthropology i mean go down go down the list and understand it from multiple angles right um 
and we're we're in such a, a reactionary blame oriented society uh you know, you know i talked about biden you know i don't know it was a month ago or something about you know he's kind of he's in it <laughs> and it is it, it i feel like we're you know i'm, I'm not saying that the presidency is going great um by any measure but it does feel very thanks obama <laughs> where it's like oh yeah, yeah every, everything happens you know it's like i twist my ankle thanks biden that that kind of thing but this stuff man it's tough stuff i i don't i certainly don't envy anyone <clears throat> that's at the that's at the helm of international leadership when you're dealing with something like this but you know in my estimation despite my my forewarning about being too reactionary my you know my initial thing is to go this seems really really bad and it it kind of reminds me of two events really world war ii and the iraq war in that um Putin is essentially saying they have to attack preemptively before the Ukraine and, uh, you know, the West attacks them. So that reminds me of 2004 about what America said about uh, Iraq, how we have to preemptively attack. And, and both were, you know, under false premises. And the, and the reason why I bring up World War II is uh, Germany kind of doing that uh, imperialistic expansion and gaining territory, invading Poland, invading France, um, Russia. And so this, I, I never thought we'd see another nation state, uh, uniformed land war in my lifetime, let alone in, in Eastern Europe of this, of this magnitude. So that, that, that's why this stuff is, is really scary. And, you know, the worst case scenario is obviously, a World War Three type situation, which doesn't necessarily mean nuclear holocaust, just the idea that everyone would get involved, uh, the West would would collectively get involved to help tamp this down, and um, yeah, it's really complex and it's really scary and hist historically significant. So it's just something I'm I'm really worried about, and yeah, I think uh, I think Vladimir Putin's a really bad bad guy. Uh, doing bad things. I think it's pretty obvious. I think there's one bully, there's one underdog and, uh, and one side really pushing violence. And some, you know, to me, that's pretty clear and maybe I don't have all the facts yet. And that's something that, uh, uh, like I said, you have to kind of work on to figure, figure that stuff out. And I don't know. I, in these situations, I tend to analyze the analysis you know so i hear i try and see what everyone's vibing what's what what their vibe is and it's been actually a little bit tough to get a, a great uh sense of things uh, i think we're all distracted obviously maybe not everyone uh feels that this is important and it's funny and i think we have these new i don't think our political lines are liberal and conservative anymore i think they're it's kind of like populism versus neoliberalism and uh, and so you see populism kind of on the far ends of, uh, left and right wing politics. And that mindset is more of an isolationist mindset, which is like, don't just worry about your own backyard. Don't, you know, don't, don't worry about, um, what's going on halfway across the world. Uh, and then the new, more neoliberal or even say neoconservative, um, kind of new world order vibe, which is the kind of post-World War II alliances, Western alliances, is the idea that, well, if you let tyrants 
expand and kind of run roughshod, then eventually they, they won't stop and it'll affect everyone. And so, you know, I, I, I understand both those mentalities. Um, I'm sure people listening probably have a, a multitude of, of ideas around that, but it is, it is something to consider, you know, um, because I hear a lot of people who claim to be anti-war, but really it just seems like they're not, they don't care that Ukraine's getting invaded because that's, that's war. War is happening. You're not really against that. You just don't want us to get involved, which I can understand. I'm not saying it's an unreasonable position. It's a, uh, it's, it's definitely a quagmire and it's a tough one. So, Hey, let's just pray for peace. And hopefully it is not, uh, it, it deescalates. That's all we can hope for because this is, this is scary stuff. It is, it is to me, it's something I'm, I'm paying attention to. And you're talking to someone who has kind of had a, kept a lot of stories at, at arm's length just for my own sanity. But there are certain things I feel like you can't really ignore. So anyway, some, something to keep the eye on. Hope, hopefully I didn't bum you guys out or bore you or, uh, alienate you with my perspective on that Def- definitely was not my, my intention. Uh, but this is what really was on my mind that and I, I leave for, for tour in like a week and I'm kind of stressed out over all that stuff, just getting ready. And yeah, and I still got to get a God damn X-Men show out. All right. We have a sponsor this week and it's from a band called trip villain and a buddy of mine, Josh Musto, or Musto, I don't even know how to pronounce, probably pronounce his name wrong. Screw it up. Sorry, Josh. My buddy Josh, it's his band, Two Piece, and we're going to play a song entitled One, and it's not like Metallica, not like U2. This is W-O-N, as in they won that shit. Here you go. <laughs>
there you have it. That is the title track. I, I, I failed to mention that before from Trip Villains brand new album, which was just released on February 22nd, 2022. So it's, uh, was it two twenty two twenty two, And yeah, the, the album is called one W O N. And the song is also called that. And that's the first song they ever wrote. And they are, like I said, a duo power duo. And they've been jamming together since they were 11 years old, uh, starting with a band called Shit Kill, which actually I put on, I think one of the Rebel Noise Group shows when I saw out in Brooklyn, another band called Netherlands. And Josh was also just, he just left his band, Tragedy, really cool band. And it's funny how I know Josh is, I met him when I was guesting at Tomatoes House of Rock, um, which is kind of like a school of rock type spot out in Manhattan. And we jammed together back then. And he was, you know, still a teenager. And we we stayed in touch. And, and we, me and him jammed even just going back maybe like a month ago or a couple months ago at Jose Mangan's spot. And he's, as you can hear, developed in, in, into quite a musician. And yeah, this 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 stuff sounds great. Kind of has some Queens of the Stone Age, a little bit of almost Russian Circles vibes. And then some like new wave stuff happened there. That I really enjoyed that song. Like a lot of the like, tempo changes and the grooves. It's really popping. Anyway, if you want to check them out and support them, please go over to their it's their Bandcamp. It's a uh, tripvillain.bandcamp.com, and you know, tell them Doc Coyle and the X Men sent you, and you want to support their stuff. Buy their record. Just came out, brand new, new band, power duo, killing the game. Shout out to Josh and his band mate, Damien. That's the name. Sorry. <laughs> All right. If you'd like to sponsor the show. Please hit me up at the X-Man podcast at gmail.com. Send an email. Remember that is EX. All right. Without further ado, let's give a quick intro to our guest this week, Mr. Terry Beezer. One of the most, has one of the longest resumes in media I've ever seen. Uh, he is a host and radio personality and television personality. And now he's killing the game on Twitch for... Um, Danny Winner Wimmer presents, excuse me. And yeah, he's just a great guy. And I met him out in LA, but I know he had to have met uh, back in the UK, but he's about, I feel like he might be the most British person I know or the most London dude I know. And he's just a great guy and he loves music so damn much. And, and those are the people I connect with the, the, the individuals that, bleed this culture through their soul. They, they they wake up to it as my man Diddy said, you say, I brush my teeth to African child. You know, he he <laughs> Beezer brushes his teeth to uh you know cancer bats or, or someone like this. <laughs> no, nah, he's he's the real deal. And I've I, I was just on his show a couple weeks ago and so I was so glad he was able to return the favor. But anyway, so I'm I'm just not even gonna run my mouth anymore, except in the conversation, I'm gonna let Terry run his mouth. So please check out my conversation with the incredible Mr. Terry Beezer. Hello, is it me you're looking for? Oh, I don't know, I ain't got my video on. See, I, I didn't know he had such a beautiful voice. See, I can now see it in your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. 
<laughs> Starts with me to go on, mate. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Thank yo. Good. Good to see your face again. I feel like I'm. I'm just seeing you all the time now, which is a wonderful thing. I'm glad you see it as a wonderful thing. It is. <laughs> it is. I. I look at you as like um, a beacon of enthusiasm and positivity around uh, this music culture, of, of which we we are we are both um, very active members. Yeah, I think it's one of the reasons why we've become like friends away from all of this stuff is you, I find your enthusiasm infectious and there's loads of people in music that work in it that don't really like talking about music, not us. <laughs> you will find us in the rainbow discussing track four on Far Beyond Driven, actually. Yeah, well, it's it's funny because that's actually kind of where I want to start uh, this conversation is just a, about, to some degree, how someone like you ends up in the position you're in and and i guess just to kind of get give us give some background because i'm sure a lot of people listening to this know who you are but maybe a lot of people don't know uh well so what's your actual like i know your cv but what is what is your background how did you get from from a to b <laughs> it's a bit i'll tell you it's a very long story but i'll give you the cliff notes sure um we can go into the minutiae of it throughout this chat but i started I, as an intern at 15 i uh, at my school you had to do two weeks worth of work experience um metal home at hammer only took people on for one week so for the first week of my work experience i worked in a hardware store it was awful apart from apart from the end of it where um at the end of the week all the 40 guys goods they let me smash it up because i had to smash it up before they put it in the bin so <laughs> that was very fucking um acme bomb com company in terms of like smashing things with a mallet but um the second week was metal hammer and that was like in terms of heavy metal and what it did to my life like i never felt like i belonged anywhere and then i found heavy metal and it's it, like every like everyone says it changed their life but hearing load has literally shaped my entire adult life including meeting my wife and everything so like this music changed everything so i had to be involved with it so i went there i did that um metal hammer moved to bath so i did more internships with kerrang magazine um and i had the bug for it big time and so i started writing for the first sort of small online digital fanzines that is drowned in sound took me on oh god this is the long version anyway right <laughs> i did so i did that uh, i got took on by metal hammer magazine i was a writer in print for years but um i always thought of myself as like a seven out of ten writer and i don't ever want to be less than elite tier at anything i do and then i started doing broadcasting and it felt more catered to me uh we founded the metal hammer podcast in 2008 um wow. i like i like being ahead of the curve man like it was fucking riotous of myself and my co-host james gill used to really like we created something that was different for metal hammer's brand and i think it was useful for metal hammer's brand at that point in time it was so where i want media to be i always want media to be doing cool stuff on the front lines um but that podcast basically changed everything as well because I moved from Metal Hammer to Rock Sound. I was only there for six months, but I had a really good time. But during that time, I got headhunted by Scuzz TV, which is where I think a lot of people might know me from. Um, I was the host of Download Festival for a bunch of years. I did all the backstage interviews. Like, my face has been on the big screen at did Donington. We ever do That's an, wild. Did we ever do an interview at, at Download? 
mate, I was doing 26 bands a day for three <laughs> days. I'm sure we did. I'm sure you were on the conveyor belt. But like when I turn up, my question is something like, oi, have we got Richie Sambora? Like that. And like, <laughs> as, as, long as, as long as one of like, those are in there. But yes, I'm certain we did. But so I was Downloads host and uh, I was on Scuzz TV. We did a show called Scuzz Meets that did some fucking wild shit, including breaking the story about Jason Newstead leaving Metallica for the first time 13 years after he left. And as someone that that's my favourite band, if you've ever seen that interview, you see like visceral human reaction from me. I'm like, I'm having to put my hands in my mouth because I talk a lot to not interrupt this man as he's telling the story that everyone's wanted to hear for nearly 15 years. But yeah, that was that. Um, I went on to radio at Team Rock. Um I took my ball and went home and started a podcast called That's Not Metal. Um, I think we changed the media landscape in the UK um, via that podcast. That's how I really discovered you, I guess, in the modern times. And it was through Mike Mowry, who uh, was Sound Talent Media, formerly of uh, Jabberjaw. When he approached me about doing my podcast, he sent me your show as like... Um, kind of something to, I don't know, strive for, just go, hey, this show is doing something very different, you know? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think he was looking for content that was not as by the book or, or, or standard. And I listened to it and he was, he, was, he was right on because you guys with that show do something which is, it's a deep dive podcast. You get really yeah. into the nitty gritty on, a particular band or uh, certain albums and you'll span it out over multiple e- episodes it's for yeah. that that true kind of obsessive type of fan right yeah yeah well that what you've just described is that was actually our like pay for service like okay. those yeah man because we like i took the structure that they built at team rock and i thought that kind of works i'm just not sure people want to buy what you're selling and tried it with my thing and they did so that was what we did we did deep dives what the podcast actually was was um when i say i took my ball and went home it couldn't be further from who i am today but i was furious about um how the media was like presenting rock music um so i went on to a podcast with someone who felt the same way and we were basically just like telling it how it is like so what, do you know what, what what was wrong with the, the the landscape at the time well if a massive band releases an album um uh, it was my interpretation that the magazines need the ad money so they're never going to tell you it's bad but the man on the street and the woman on the street uh, doesn't care about that Right. Like they're they're not like, oh, I can't say that the new like insert band here album is terrible because it'll upset the record label. They don't care. They're telling you what they think of the art. So we were by fans for fans. Like, sure, we got all this media knowledge and all the rest of it and we're on the inside. But essentially, we were two mates in the pub talking about that week's rock news, that week's album reviews and the rest of it. And when things sucked, we were we were kind of Statler and Waldorf about it. Like it's it's how you talk out there. So why wouldn't it be how the media talks? And that's why people like State of the Scene in the US have done such brilliant things because they're just kids that love this shit, talking about this shit. And who doesn't want to hear that? Like when you're a fan too, you want to, you don't want like, oh, this new album by this big band that we know is bum is not 
oh, they're back on form and all the rest of it. Like, save it, man. We can hear it. we got ears. So that was just a disconnect, I thought, between the media and the audience. And that's not metal. Change that. And in regards to the reviews, like, when I say we changed the landscape, like, four out of fives and eight out of tens suddenly became sevens and threes when That's Not Metal appeared. And people can tell me that, like, oh, you know, you, you were just a fanzine and whatever. But it was like... We went to download and saw That's Not Metal shirts everywhere. We put out that principle and you changed. Like That's Not Metal was a really big deal, but I'd, I'd want to change rock music. Like I kind of, when people go, what did you come to America for? It's I'm sick and tired of us not being, not having a carbon footprint in the world of mainstream culture because only a certain amount of, of potential rock fans can find us right now. A lot of people who listen to this will have found rock and metal through a video game or a movie or MTV if you're old, old enough or whatever. Like we have, rock is never dead. Look at how many people are turning up and look at how many people are listening to this and look at Twitch, which have really fucking drove home how many people out there either could like rock and metal or do. Um, and you look at the fact the last decade is the first time when you look at mainstream culture that rock music didn't have a carbon footprint in it. Right. The last yeah. culturally significant thing that happened on a mainstream level was My Chemical Romance and Avenged Sevenfold. They were the last TRL bands. That was the last time we infiltrated the, ma the mainstream. And those bands are still massive. We got to open that lane up. We can exist on our own out here. And that's great. And our culture rules. But like, I don't want it gatekept. I want people to find their new favorite bands. And, you know, not everyone is made to scour all the way to the bottom of DSPs until they find where metal lives. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's happening now, but it's a top-down thing where you have uh, pop and, hip and hip-hop artists essentially taking on the the rock vibe and then bring, bring, bringing that. And it's, so it's, it's just, and it's, it's, They've been there doing are... that since '95. Look at look at the two look at the Tupac and uh, the Tupac and Dre video for California Love, and look at fucking the looks that kill Motley Crue videos, right? <laughs> they, like like it's, it's only now that like the iconography is so strong that like you know Kanye's kind of doing his take on the Metallica logo when he's doing Jesus and all that yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah, man, I, I hear you. I'm with you. Well, I mean specifically just in terms of Sonics. MGK having a number one record doing pop punk Willow, you know, she's, she's blowing up, um, uh, Miley Cyrus kind of going yeah. more rock. Um, Have you heard hyper pop? That's a, a band. No, hyperpop is a genre that is coming, right? It feels like when dubstep was doing cool stuff and then before you knew it, Britney Spears hit a dubstep drop. There's this thing called hyperpop that this new generation is just throwing everything into a melting pot, but it's got so much distorted guitars on it and actual <laughs> songwriting involved. It's not just a hook with loads of other stuff around it. Like these are quick, short, sharp bursts that are songs, but I can't help but hearing actual distorted guitars as well not molly coddled for for a certain audience like guitars with teeth so i think that there are more and more an uh, avenues opening up for rock and metal culture look at what's happened to anime in the last 10 years right and when a, when a fight scene kicks off it's not rave music it's metal right like the the, the opportunities are there i just think that 
we got to boot the door down. And I came to America because I'd changed my little landscape in the UK. But everyone, whether they want to acknowledge it or not, America is where it happens and then it drip feeds to the rest of the world. So if I want to change rock music, I've got to be here. So I know it sounds like the Blues Brothers where he goes, I'm on a mission from God, right? But it's real. I've come here to make our culture be back where it belongs to be because I'm fed up of being treated like a second-class citizen. It was cool watching High on Fire pick up a Grammy, but I hate that it was on the pre-show. It should have been on the main show. Freedom, etc. Well, so let's let's talk about that, the kind of difference between um, the American uh, heavy music culture and the UK. I, I find, you know, I toured the UK. It was the, the only the second uh, foreign country I'd played outside of Canada, so really anywhere I, I traveled, but... God forbid, had the good fortune of touring with a band called Stamping Ground. Come um, on. UK hardcore metalcore band. And we got to do a lot of shows. We got to play something like 15 or 16 shows, go to a lot of little towns and got to firsthand, you know, pick up the Kerrangs and the Metal Hammers and see how in-depth it was. And, and the it just felt very unique. It felt palpable. It felt like a place a band could things could happen very quickly because the, the mm. country was smaller because of the yeah. kind of i mean you could call it a hype machine to yeah. some degree no, i agree i agree um but and the, but this is something that goes back historically right with with rock music whether it's we're talking about Jimi hendrix going to the uk or bob yeah. marley going to the uk of the beastie boys is my favorite going to the uk like that story about them ending up on the front page of the sun as like the most dangerous band ever and yeah i know where you're coming from with the uk something yeah. on this tiny island can happen it goes global well but i think it's a combination of that uk hype machine but then also this is where a big portion of our hard rock was birthed right where they're mm. talking about the rolling stones or the beatles or iron maiden or judas priest or oasis or whatever right so there's there's yeah. just something there like there there's something in the water there's something in yeah. the air that where most of the stuff came from and that that still permeates when you play a show in the uk and it's there's a certain type of fervor with that fan base that really doesn't exist anywhere else in my opinion now, I know I know where you're coming from. I've been at festivals all over the world, but when you step onto the hallowed turf of Donington Park, there is nothing <laughs> like it, man. It's, you know, uh, but I, I hear what you're saying. In terms of the hype machine, I'll tell you what, I, I, I could be just like, like kind of being a Leo about it and throwing myself as an example here, but like we're romantic about this stuff. Like, it's not just music you hear. When I spoke about it earlier, I'm like, oh, this, this shit literally changed my life. What we're good at in the UK, I think, is narrative. If a yes. band has a story, then the, the press there um, have um, periodically really been good at telling that story and getting that across to the world because, you know... Motley Crue, when people think about Motley Crue, they're like Millwall Football Club in the UK, right? Millwall are the only football club that are known for violence and not football, <laughs> right? Like, um, well, Motley Like the Crue, Raiders in America. Yeah, oh, right, is it? Oh, that's why I support them then. <laughs> of course, it's the hooligan team that I like. Of course it is. Um, but the, the thing with Motley Crue is when people think of Crue, they don't necessarily think of the music first. Some of us do, but I reckon the first thing that you think about is the Jack Daniels and the the the, the dirt side of Motley Crue. And I think that that stuff's important. 
right? Like, um, I think that in a media, what's the problem with the media landscape now, Doc, I'm going to throw this out there, um, is that I think fans, when it comes to interviews, formerly it was a brilliant way to reach more people, whereas now... I think that bands see interviews as potential clickbait oil slicks is how I would uh, describe it. I think bands are so, so uh, guarded and making sure that they don't end up as a clickbait headline that what they're saying doesn't really sell who they are or what their band is. And I think that that avenue becomes harder to to tell a narrative when the band is so guarded about it because all it takes is people don't read a long block of text anymore. It's just that one pull quote and that defines everything that you've just said to this person in 40 minutes. I totally understand it from a band's perspective, man. I'm not saying it's their problem. I'm saying don't like in terms of if you've got a problem with that's our band talks, don't hate the player, hate the game. If we cultivated positivity instead of clickbait, then bands wouldn't be so guarded. I just think there's a real much is a larger narrative that we're not going to go anywhere near but like i think there's a distrust of the media when it comes to this stuff and that was essentially what that's not metal was founded on as well do you think that's fair doc um well i think the general premise of the the populist distrust in the media is something that's gotten has become almost hack at this point it's yeah just, let's let's not do that it's 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 <laughs> It's kind of the the default, but I have to say, with regard to metal media in America, it's so different than the UK. Like to some degree, but you got warriors out here, man. You got well, warriors out here. Jose Mangin, Jackie, uh, Full Metal Jackie, Nick Nocturnal. Like yeah. you got you got warriors out here doing the Dark Lord's work. <laughs> well, it's, it's so funny because I it, in in a weird way I don't think of someone like Jose as the as media because he's he's never really been involved in like print or like doing reviews he is yeah. he really is his title the ambassador which is like he just props up and highlights the things he likes and yeah. he's a he's a, he's a guy that helps break bands he's a guy that helps champion bands and he's not necessarily sitting around whereas you right your whole thing is i need to be able to call out and and say when something isn't quite up to it stuff. used to be and that's just it this is yeah. this is what la's done to me doc like la's men like me out. Like, i haven't <laughs> I, mate i haven't been that geezer for half a decade yeah. right? i'm very diplomatic these days because i tell you um i had a real uh moment of clarity where my what what i want to do is accentuate great art that isn't getting pushed. That's it, man. I'm sick and tired of my favorite bands. I'm in a fucking split up on album number three because they've got to think about jobs when their music is fucking brilliant. I'm sick of it. And they haven't got an avenue to reach fans. Like, there ain't no one telling me that people are buying 10 million Nirvana shirts and they don't want to listen to the dirty nil. There ain't no one telling me that hundreds of thousands of people go to see Bruce Springsteen and don't want to hear the Menzingers. There ain't loads of people telling me that loads of people are like Pantera and don't listen to Scotland's Bleed From Within, who are one of the best metal bands on planet Earth. And if everybody knew about it, they would be celebrated as such. And that is... I feel like what my role is here in America is I like Jose and I think that you're right. He does. He covers everything he likes uh, fucking amazingly. Right. And, but that's such a, in the, in the post iPod post streaming 
like who is a heavy metal fan i think that we're so varied that there's space for all of us because like the stuff that jose champions is fucking it's great because that's not the stuff that i champion i love loads of that stuff right shout out your fucking new record uh shout out five finger death punch um i think that they wrote a blueprint that a lot of lesser bands followed but five finger death punch themselves are the real fucking deal i like the black album i like pantera smash them two together and give it a whole bunch of attitude and i am all in that but but what I do is I'm here to make sure CU Space Cowboy is seen. I'm here yeah. to I'm here to make sure um, as and when the next cool thing in heavy metal happens, it's not just having to happen and then fit into this genre that is the only thing that gets exposure. Um, like I don't know uh, certain bands, you hear it yourself. I won't name and shame, but like you you probably got some ideas in your head now. Hold on, that band used to be really heavy, and now they sound like that. What happened? Um, well, it's the only lane that they can go through. And I think that what we need here is more lanes, right? Like fucking think about your band, uh, your old band, God forbid. Right, you had loads of people doing brilliant stuff for you out here. I'm certain you were all over Liquid Metal, Revolver, all these things. But in terms of that scene, it's my opinion, because I fucking grew up with it and it's my era. I treat fucking Avenged, Trivium, bullet and kill switch with the same heart eyes emoji that someone 15 years uh, older than me would he would think about nirvana and all of that or fucking the new metal scene or hair metal or the big four or whatever like and i just think that we've lost the ability to give reverence to things as well mm. why do we not say things to classic records when they drop that Gojira album that came out last year, that Turnstile album, especially when it came out last year, that's a classic instantly. People are going to be listening to that for a decade. And I, I mean, I say that. I mean, I, I yeah, need but that. You're, but you're elite as well. Like, I'm not including you in this. <laughs> well, well, you know, I, I think it's, I, I think that is the case. I, you know, I, I don't know if. if really? It's well, well, just keep in mind, right? Like, yeah. it's not 15 years ago where getting the 5K review in Kerrang! is going to have the monumental of impact course. it would have. Because I think ultimately, and this is kind of goes back to your statement about people's relationship with the media and, and that people aren't necessarily following that anymore. They don't need someone else to tell them whether, whether something's good because there's less gatekeeping, right? I mean, mm, yeah. I'd say the only true gatekeeping in today's day and age is playlisting. Right. So whatever. So however, the mechanism eh, of, of how a band. I don't know. Well, no, don't know. You can you can make a playlist, but I'm saying like whoever yeah. is, is in control of a particular Spotify playlist or Apple playlist and however that's curated. What I'm saying is the fans don't have any control over that. But mm. but the but uh, I think the natural momentum of how people find music now is yeah. more powerful than maybe ever, I, I'd say yeah. in terms of gatekeeping um, mattering. I, yeah. I want to ask you a question about, okay. how, like, because you're you seem to be so focused on this idea of, of discovering new bands and propping up new, mm. new bands. How much music do you actually listen to for enjoyment, and how do you go about like when when like when do you actually create space to do that? I know you do it like on on your Twitch stuff. You listen to yeah. music, but. Uh, and like, how how do you go about finding new, new bands? Um, 
uh, that's the thing that I can't tell people because that's been my money spot for oh. years. But I tell you, I spend hours every week. Like every single week I do a show on Twitch called New Music Saturday, which is the best of rock, metal, punk, hardcore and alternative. And by alternative, I mean alternative, not Florence and the Machine is in the alternative section. Like yeah. I mean... Different. Like truly, yeah, oh yeah, just the, the the literal definition of the word alternative. I like a little alternative with my alternative. Um, so what the idea is is that you get the best of the week, and that is we cover the big songs. I wait until Saturday to hear the new fucking ghost song, even if it kills me that it's out for three. Dude, how days. good is that that riff? Oh my god. Oh my god, mate, and he's melodies, man. <laughs> that you will never walk alone. It's like it's <laughs> iconic from the first time you hear it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I listen to those things and it's about letting in the interest of like from the last bit of conversation to now, the media are not the tide anymore. And I've got, like, I don't have the ego to pretend that they are like a lot of people are still of that impression that they matter more than they do. Like my show, I play the song. I tell you what I think about it, but you vote. Because that's the only fucking vote that matters. Everyone's like, oh, the fans are the ones that matters while just using it as a cute soundbite. In the real world, it is true. It's true. The fans are who matter. And they tell me, world-class, really great, decent, not good or not for me. And not for me is like, I don't listen to this genre anyway, because we'll play everything from Midwest, who's one of those sort of Kenny Hoopla, Travis Barkery type people to um, the new undeath, you know, because rock fans are all of those things. You like, I bet you like fucking Weezer and Cannibal Corpse. So why is, and yeah, why is not, why is everybody else no different? I just, Hey, that's where we are. I think. Well, that was actually the, my, my follow-up was something that's specific to you, but I actually connect with a lot is this idea of, of musical diversity and kind of, and, and my connection to that is pretty much the world I came up in, which is that I was a metalhead who discovered the hardcore scene and then met a bunch of people within that, that uh, had... A, a diverse musical taste and i found out within the hardcore scene that it wasn't about at least in where i came up in jersey it wasn't necessarily about the sound of hardcore music is that you would see a grindcore band and an emo band and what you and everything in between and a rapcore band yeah. and, it, and it all worked because it wasn't necessarily about the sound of the music it was about this kind of um this this scene of of outsiders that kind of found common common cause. And I had a great radio station that played a diverse bunch of stuff. I had, you know, luckily I had musician parents that exposed me to, to a lot of stuff. What uh, was the impetus for the way you kind of cover this broad cross section and still have it kind of connect and not feel like it's, um, you know, almost too all over the Bro. place. Like what, yeah. what, what ties everything together for you and how did you discover that? And so um, I I take what you're saying exactly, especially locally. My mate Quentin, who writes for Forbes, oi oi, um, he uh, plays in a band that's a bit kind of shoegazy, a bit sort of where Deaf Heaven are now. And he hates ska bands because his band has had to play with so many ska bands. <laughs> so I understand the diversity, but it's the like feeling currently, of the vibe. There's a currently ska bands playing? 
Sky, oh, don't you say, hey, this is why you got to listen to my show, man. We played an Italian ska band at the weekend called Talco that are actually going out with no effects in Europe and they're fucking unbelievable. But this is what I'm saying. And like, there is, there is brilliant music being made everywhere. I think the best heavy track made so far this year is by Bloodywood out of India. That song and where it goes and all, uh, and the amount of things that it incorporates will melt your head. Okay. Um, now I know what we're playing after at the end of this is I, I don't even know this song, so I got to go. I'm going to go find it. It's going to be fun. Oh, dude, you're going to you will so dig it, man, because it's so different and out there, but so metal and fucking palatable. Anyway, for me, I think it's uh, I've got to give credit to Kerrang! magazine on this one. Because Kerrang! was such an important institution in the United Kingdom, I think that um, it was so influential on the rock fans of the time when you were growing up that if Green Day are on the cover, then Cradle of Filth are on the cover, and then um, Trent Reznor's on the cover, and then Glassjaw on the cover when I'm growing up, they're all one and the same. So what we do with the playlisting is I don't stay in one genre for too long. I make sure if you're a metalhead, you get served every three songs, you'll get something that's metal. But what I have found and what is the beautiful thing about New Music Saturday, and I think what makes my wider thoughts about where we have to go is so many people, when it's presented properly, right, if you if you like this, you might like this. Playlists are faceless playlists on Spotify and all the digital service things. Don't have narrative. They don't tell you who this is, and that's who rock fans are. They want to know who plays bongos on track five, right? That's who we are. We're obsessive about this shit. We don't have it on in the background. That's not who we are as a culture. So when you can sit and say, hey, if you like this kind of thing, you might like this, and if you don't. You've got the fucking right to an opinion because everyone who's there every week, like it's, we're at a stage now where I'm like, ah, oh, mutation five, five, five. This is a bit weird. It'll be for you. Right. Like um, eternal blue. Like, I know this has got a hook for you. You're going to dig this. Right. I, I know these people, but as it grows, what we see is those barriers blow down when a song as brilliant as, um, I think it's called New England by Bob Villain um, comes out and it's got a hook on it at the end that feels like killing in the name. It is the sound of UK rap right now and politically angry UK rap being backed by a, a fucking band that are halfway between Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels and Rage Against the Machine. And that's a party in my world. And when you play something as regional as that and the place loses their shit, when you play this new wave of fucking so exciting, like teenage female punk music, right? The Linda Lindas and No Bro and Panic Shack. There are bands that are coming out the punk rock and the music fucking flies out the speakers at you and they are best of all it's a different perspective what they're angry about because young women have a fucking voice now and people want people are don't just want to hear it they insist that we hear it and i insist that we hear it so it's fucking amazing that like all of these things are happening but we gotta be able to show people about it man how many people got into this culture through watching, I don't know, the VMAs and a rock band turning up and it being like, what the fuck is that? Right. This is, we've got, but we've got to fight for this. Yeah. We got to stop putting our head in the sand and saying like, no, 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 rock is dead. Look at these 60,000 people who benefited from the system that we no longer benefit from. It's like, yeah, that's the fucking point. That's the fucking point. Right. 
Ghost, if the if the avenues were open by now, Ghost would be about to release their Black album, right? They're popular. All of the records have got more popular than the last, and their quality is sky high, yeah. man. And there's loads of people out there that dig it because it's all clean singing and in interest of the, the hymn sheet I sing from. If you want to know where I think this all crumbled, is rock music is meant to be chaos, right? Hair metal was stamped out by something completely different to it. Look at fucking grunge. They didn't even wash compared to fucking like where hair metal was. What knocked that out? Uh, it was fucking pop punk, right? When Kurt passed and we went from there, it was Green Day and the Offspring that took over. Happy music, like had punk rock that hadn't been popular since like the fucking late 70s. What took over from that? New metal jocks right it's chaos these things are not supposed to clash clash into one another what came after that emos emos came after jocks are you getting it now right and then we stopped after linkin park we decided everything needs to sound like linkin park disturbed or uh, in this territory those kind of breaking benjamin type bands one of yeah. those three things um and that's where our popularity stopped well rock music is meant to be chaos and it's still chaos out there like we just got to stop pretending that imagine dragons are rock and metal is only one type of really palatable like beige type of metal and spread the wings because metalheads are going to get more excited by bloody woods than another band that sounds like five finger death punch you know what i mean yeah, I mean, there's so much there. I know. Sorry, I, mate. I'm a lot. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. No, no. I mean, just just kind of to um, pick up off what what you're you're talking about. I I guess I I recognize that at that point, you know, I had this one theory watching the documentary about Woodstock '99 that right. that that in a way that one event. And this is very, this is very Monday morning quarterback. This is mm -hmm. like kind of um, with, you know, with hindsight, things look, look clearer. I wonder. We're, we're around the water cooler and we're discussing it. I got you. <laughs> yeah. Where it, watching that documentary make, made me think like, oh, I wonder if this event helped create, you know, the uh, heavy music going into the background because it was kind of like a, mm. a black eye to some yeah. degree on, on, on the musical culture. Yeah. But I think also at, at that moment is really to some degree it's not really to not give heavy music credit it's actually we or we should actually probably give hip-hop credit for just becoming just uh taking its kind of rightful place as the predominant youth culture mm. because it and the, and ultimately whatever music it is has to speak to whatever generation claims it for whatever yeah. that is, but, right? even, but even then, when I say it's chaos, look at Ghost. Who knew that the biggest band of the, like, arguably the biggest band to drop from our culture in the last ten years was going to sound like Blue Oyster Cult? That's mental, right? But that's chaos, and that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And so I, I, yeah. Sorry, mate. So 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 with that chaos, and and this would usually, funny enough, this would usually be the question I'd ask. You know, like Mike Gitter, like right, someone, yeah. uh, an A&R guy. Someone whose job basically it is to know what the next big thing is, and yeah. I mean maybe maybe you're, you already stated that with uh, with with, with hyperpop, um, but do you see something a trend or a sound or something? Because I had Finn McKenty on yeah. the show this week, yeah. and he was he's of the mind that maybe we've kind of reached this this point with all art. That like almost like the everything's been done point. Um, 
And so, and which is he's so cynical, man. <laughs> Honestly, it kills me. Well, I don't, I don't think he was saying it in a cynical sense. Like, I think he was. I almost... don't agree with that. Do you agree with that? Like, you listen to Bloodywood, right? And then you give credence to what that principle that was just put out there. I disagree. Well, I'll say this: I don't know, but I, I think what we used to see is that we'd see scenes, right? Yeah. Collect. So you you'd see collective movements. Yeah. Where all of a sudden it'd be the metalcore thing, or the new wave American heavy metal yeah. thing, or the deathcore thing, or the gent thing. And recently, if you kind of back away fr from that and you're just analyzing it, it doesn't feel like there's movements as much as there are particular acts that kind of shoot out, and then they're 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 in their own kind of sphere right so yeah. right. i mean and, and the, like every now and again like, you have like bring yeah. me the horizon who's taken off and yeah. you'll have kind of an architects that uh, gets a look that gets some of the the benefit of that and spirit box gets some of the benefit of that mm -hmm. but you look at five finger death punch they were an anomaly they there wasn't a there was there mm -hmm. wasn't like a bunch of five finger death punches. yeah they broke the mold yeah um when ghost blew up there wasn't a bunch of bands that sounded like Ghost or a scene, they were their own yeah. thing. When Volbeat blew up, there wasn't, no one sounds like Volbeat, right? So, yeah. I to, see, an to answer your everything that uh, like has been done has been done, you just answered it. Yes. Well, well, There's no, no, no one like Volbeat. Yeah. I, well, I guess what I'm saying is it's not that I'm saying everything's been done, but. Yeah. No, I, but, I, I, but I get it, your point. But it's, it's not yeah. speaking, but it's not speaking to. Oh, a bunch of people are discovering this new sound. Can I, can Go I ahead, take so. umbrage with that? Yeah, yeah, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm not. I don't even really have a great. No, no, no. Here. Just, just with no, not with loud. what you're saying, but with that conceptually, because this is what I mean. If everyone has got an idea of what like popular metal is, right? Everyone's got that idea of what in your head now. You've probably got a band right now, name and shame and wherever you are, right? That are just the poster children for like vanilla metal that gets pushed to the fore, right? But here's the fucking deal, right? In 1999, when Slipknot happened, everyone said that's too heavy and they are the biggest heavy band to have done heavy music since that moment, right? Now, last year, one song from the world of rock and metal topped the Spotify viral chart. And what I mean by that, the hottest song on all of Spotify, and yes, it was TikTok-based, but I'll, I'll address that in a minute, Doc Hoyle, do you know what band and what song that was? It was number one of all of the songs in terms of trending on Spotify. Ghostmane? Ghostmane. No, it was Lorna Shaw. So oh. here we go, right? If Lorna Shaw can be that popular, if Lorna Shaw, and like fucking find me someone who wasn't raving about that Lorna Shaw. They are now playing that at the fucking Detroit Red Wings uh, arena, if you haven't seen it, right? <laughs> Lorna Shaw are that popular. The audience are screaming at you that they is that popular. Why is this put to the back because of how heavy it is instead of pushed to the fore? We are dealing with a fucking generation that is more extreme. What was extreme to us? getting our hands tattooed. What is extreme to the generation slightly behind me? I've got my neck tattooed, but whatever. What is fucking extreme to this generation? 
I don't know. Like I watch Euphoria. That's that's high school now, is it? Right? They are an extreme generation. They get their eyelids tattooed and all the rest of it. So why wouldn't their art be extreme? Why sure. are we selling them something boring and vanilla when what they are screaming for is Lorna Shaw? Like, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong, but I don't think I am. I think that there is a bigger desire for bands like that that are doing exciting things and a fucking avenue for it. I've got this little thing on Twitch, right? I say little things. Sometimes we've got 15,000 people listening to us live and I'm playing Undeath and stuff like that, right? But I just think the more that concept of the past is allowed in, rock music becomes creative again. And vital again. And when you say that about scenes, two years ago, I'll suck myself off a little bit here. Two years ago, I was talking about deathcore and about how, do you know what? There's a handful of these deathcore bands here that are all doing different things with this medium. And it's all pretty good. And if they all get their next records right, then there's a real fucking scene here. And right now there is Brand of Sacrifice and Pale Face and Slaughter to Prevail, and Lorna Shaw, and all these bands, and they ain't playing games. They are swinging for the fence. So are we going to let them fulfill their true potential with reaching people that will get excited about heavy metal again? If you didn't hear that Slaughter to Prevail album from last year and you like Slipknot, it will blow the shit out of your arsehole. Um, uh, is that a good thing? I don't know. Um, <laughs> but, but like, you get my point, right? I don't yeah. think we are doing enough to present ourselves in the way that we should. And I think that if, if, I, if I'm fucking sitting here and scre- screaming this stuff, like, I want to scream about this bunch of girl punk bands, right? It's cool. I think it's wicked that Epitaph have signed the Linda Lindas and they were on late night TV. That's wicked. But like, no, bro, I've got a song called Better Each Day that sounds like it should be played at the end of a Spider-Man Marvel movie. It sounds like the Runaways meets the Ramones fueled by 2022 teenage girl anger. It is so sick. I can't even tell you, right? But we need to get this fucking out to people because if it's just there and, oh, if you go to track 23 on the fucking rock playlist, you might hear it, then all they're going to think, and the mainstream as well, right? When the mainstream look at us and they go, rock's got nothing to say, it's if they look over at us and they're like, yeah, still another 55 finger death punches, right? They're never going to pay any attention. What we need is to go bang in the fucking air and make them go, what the fuck is that over there? Lorna Shaw, bitch. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. 
I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now at Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? Ha! How's that going? Did you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 20. 020-D.com, SoundTalentMedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app. Well, I I hear you. Um, I, I actually do think there's a, a curve happening towards something heavier, towards something a little more extreme. Um, and that's always a response to the world, right? Like Ooh. I think I think there's um there's a post- even though, you know, to some degree we're, we're still in the pandemic, but there's a, a look to a post-pandemic world of basically kind of like like we're a, a, a world, right, mm. that is dealing with a massive trauma, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, and, how, and how and, and anger and depression and uh, malaise and confusion and mm. fear, right? Yeah. And the culture... And art is always going to going to reflect that, and so I think yeah. it's going. To, there's going to be a need for something a little more aggressive, a yeah. little more visceral, and that's going to that's going to speak to people. And within yeah. that, it's also a dichotomy, right? Because people also want um, during t- times of deep pain and frustration. Yeah. Uh, there's also escapism, right? So you yeah, horror also, movies kill it. Well, well, I mean, but I mean the other type of escape, escapism, like the most kind of uh you know exciting and colorful pop music right so this is this right. might speak speak to why k-pop is is getting so big as well where you, you're gonna have people really want things on these really extreme ends you know and, yeah. and, and yeah. A, a lot of that's going to I, so what i'm saying is you're going to see a lot yeah. of trends that might seem like they're contradicting each other but it's yeah. all part of the same situation it's- is this the Woodstock 99 talking with the, the boy bands and the new metal, but like now, like, yeah. my, like, like I, I, hear, I hear what you're saying, but um, I think that heavy music has done a really good job of dealing with the pandemic from uh, where we were beforehand, which was, I, I'll say it, man, because it kills me, archaic. Mm. Um, so during the pandemic, you look at the rise of Twitch and heavy metal culture on it. Like I've been, I was on television in the UK, right, hosting the world famous Download Festival. And last year on Twitch, I broadcasted to 6.5 million people between July and the end of December. And that is. Is this with Dartfest? Sci- no, no, that was with that's with Danny Women Presents. Gotcha. Um, I didn't ever present for Notfest on um, Twitch. I only ever did it on YouTube. But gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Um, but for DWP, 
like we hit that many people and that's a sizable amount of people then you can change the culture and change the idea of the culture with that streaming like everyone with band streams looks at it as like oh yeah we did that to get from a to b in the pandemic and i think that's the wrong way of looking at it the live album is dead right like everyone who wants a live anything can literally see the show that they went to on youtube when they get home right the principle of the live album is not so much there but bands making cinematic specials a la hbo specials be that behemoth taking you on a black and white fucking you know avant-garde black metal satanic experience to code orange making you feel like neon terrorists are about to kick in your door waving the 4-4 like i loved that shit and i just think that that's something we can replace the live album with again heavy music taking this shit and really fucking running with it like it really called them again just changing the presentation Changing the narrative. What are we? We're not fucking Beavis and Butthead anymore, I don't think. I don't think today's rock fan is, yeah, dude, I just don't think that's who they are. I just think we're we're more fucking like the person on the street than that. I think that like, you know, we like A24 films. Like, I think that's I think that's who we are these days. And I just think that we got to change the narrative. If you go to see like fucking hereditary i guarantee you'll look around and see loads of metal ads with you and me- or midsummer or when nope comes out this summer right when you look around you'll see loads of metal ads because you know i think i think the the idea of what we are like when they do it on an advert it kills me when we're all spandex and like <laughs> it's like fuck you man we read like just that's who we are in 2022 and i just want to give us the credence that we deserve both artistically and fucking culturally you know we're just not that anymore yeah uh i feel like this um when we were young festival announcement was this real kind of uh inflection point because it kind (laughs) of it it made me realize that kind of the way, way way you put it that the last time rock was the biggest in the culture was the that that mid 2000s my chemical romance time and now that audience right who were who maybe they were in their teens or early 20s is older and now these and got to keep in mind those fans those were normal people they weren't necessarily the all the the weirdos and the the super metal heads like you and myself and there is and I dude I I had this moment I was at my physical therapist office and I'm hearing the girls at the, the, the you know, who are, who are working the phones and at the desk talk about it. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is this is just mainstream. They're, now. they're, they're not OK, I promise. Yeah, no, <laughs> but, they, but they are. They're just normal, normal people. And yeah, and, I love it. But I think there is a connection between the, the normies who like Jimmy Eat World, who but just maybe they like the music, but they're a little bit distant from how connected they were to as a young person being grown ups who are professionals and people who are just, you know, raising families and have homes. And and then with the far end super metalhead with the back patch, there's actually something that kind of connects those two people in a in a weird way. And and then you get what's what's happening in the SoundCloud rap world, even though that SoundCloud yeah. it's, it's kind of well, a so well, look at what So What Festival are doing in Texas. Yeah. Like like they're doing Princess Nokia and fucking Parkway Drive on the same weekend. And I am here for it. Yeah. Like, so, yeah, so there's like, what, what I'm saying is there is a cross section that makes all this stuff work. 
and relevant and kind of fun and exciting. And then, like I said, you you take that with what happened during the pandemic with all these artists started utilizing technology, started yeah. communicating, started. And the best thing about it, I think about all this stuff, is it shows everyone's personality, right? Because yeah. there's kind of nothing that personal about just watching you know, you see a band on a music video and they're playing it. They're, they're staring at their fretboard, but you yeah. don't know who they are. But if you go on someone's Twitch stream, you start to learn who their personality is. You start to yeah. connect to them humanistically. And I think that yeah. that next level is going to it, it it creates a um a beneficially symbiotic relationship between uh, people create content creators and consumers and by the way mm -hmm. we're all we're all both right like yeah i create content but i also consume content and we all feed the same the same thing so i, I think it's definitely a period to be very uh positive you know I, I was taking notes there because this is my turn for wow that's a lot to unpack right when we were young fest an event so monumentally good when you looked at the bill that people didn't even believe it was real, right? Mm. Like, I think that's fucking unbelievable. And better than that, right? Coachella announced the same week. What was the public talking about? They weren't talking about Coachella, were they? I don't even know who's headlining Coachella this year, but I know I could tell you everything about when we were young festival. Um, to go back to your point about like that being a time when we were main when we were mainstream, like. I'll reinterpret that for a, for a heavy metal audience as well, right? Doc, we are Metallica obsessives, right, you and I? Yeah. Uh, what is the difference? Metallica are the biggest heavy metal band of all time, right? Like, there are claims from other people, but, like, there's an answer to this one, unfortunately, and it's Metallica. They are the biggest, 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 right? But what, what is the difference between Metallica and the other contenders that you might mention? What makes Metallica the biggest? Um, I think because they, they existed. Other than they rip. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, having the best songs helps. But no, I, I think I think Metallica existed in a presentation that made them beyond genre. Right? They were the thrash metal band who was not was not perceived as thrash. They are in the '90s. They're the rock band who's actually metal. There, do you know? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. They, like, I get where you're coming. They, from. they are the embodiment of metal, but are able to exist not as metal. Do, yeah. Is that you know? So yeah, they yeah, they yeah. can they, they can be all things to all people. You can hear the the Misfits influence. You can hear the you know the the British uh, wave of heavy metal influence. You can hear yeah. there's just something you know, and there's and right like they were they had the biggest record of the 90s and were able to kind of tap into the same angst that so someone might like Pearl Jam or Nirvana or Alice in Chains. Definitely you can Alice still, in Chains. You, you can listen to a song like Unforgiven and hear the same darkness in that that you could on an Alice in Chains yeah. record, whereas yeah. no one else could really accomplish that. So it's... it's uh, Some what? bands are just fucking special, man. And, yeah. and like in, in a way where like you can look at Iron Maiden who will probably play the same venues as Metallica, right? In terms of selling tickets, at least um, mm -hmm. glo globally. But Iron Maiden will always feel of a time. Okay. Right? Yeah. yeah. You know. and, my, and, and, my... yeah, go for it. And so the only other band that I can really relate to the, the bigness of Metallica and universe, 
universal. I've been trying to say this word. I, yeah. So Ben, that's as universal as they are. is probably ACDC. That's the only other. Oh yeah, oh, I, yeah. ACDC are even bigger than Metallica, but I don't consider yeah. them like yeah. a metal band. They're their but, own but, thing. But, but, but I mean, they're like they, the Rolling Stones, aren't they? They're just but, more drunk. <laughs> no, 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 because there's an a, an aggressiveness. There's a reason why uh, yeah, yeah. ACDC is the background to like Iron but, Man. But with Guns and Roses, for example, is who I'd yeah. put ACDC in with. My, like my my like I I just put them in their own little box, but I take your point. Like because sure. ACDC are definitely the biggest. But my point with Metallica is um, why I think and why it relates to the point that you were making about when we were young festival and hearing those girls. Right, is loads of normal people like Metallica. Right, all of the answers that you said are completely valid, but they're all part of our massive massive subculture. Right, they they'd probably still be the biggest even if it, they were just playing within those parameters. Although I think Iron Maiden would run them really fucking close if it was that parameters, because if you're a heavy metal fan died in the wall, we love fucking heavy metal. No one, no one serves you like Iron Maiden. And I have to say, I respect the fuck out of Iron Maiden because I saw them with Ghost in uh, Las Vegas. I was there for Ramstein, uh, Corn, and Stone Sour, but we stayed on to see Ghost and Maiden. And um, this, like, I love the fact that Iron Maiden are like a fucking football team, right? The Sunset Strip on Las Vegas just taken over by Maiden shirts fucking everywhere. And that's special, right? But Metallica, the person who sits next to you in that massive stadium might have absolutely nothing culturally in common with you. That's not probably not going to happen at a Maiden show, right? Mm. Like they, they might just be like, yeah, we're a 2.4 family. It's just dad really likes Metallica, right? That's the difference between Metallica and everyone else. And I think they've done a good job of balancing like being a metal act and and satiating that person because that person shouldn't feel weird, right? Everyone should feel welcome at heavy metal shows. We are outsiders, so we should welcome everyone, right? That's how, that, as far as I'm concerned, because I I didn't just buy into the, the the sounds that I like. I bought into the culture, the you fall down, I'll pick you up stuff, right? Well, if the person sits next to me has got nothing in common with me, but they love Metallica. It's no different to me than going to the Arsenal and sitting next to someone who's got nothing in common with me, but we both want, you know, Lacazette to pull his finger out and send us into the Champions League. Like, there's no difference between those two things for me. And it's interesting when you talk about the future and about artists and about communicating with people, because I think this relates back to the media and this is going to open up a a big conversation here, Doc, because I haven't had this conversation with anyone yet. And this is where my life is right now. Um, and that's where you talk about the media. And it used to be about the media talk and the fan listen. We tell you what's cool and you 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 think it's cool. Whereas once the internet happened and everyone started fucking talking to one another, they went, hey, the media told us load was bad and we all fucking love it, Right. Like you just dispel all of that stuff. So I think the future is the artist makes the art, but I think the online experience is about the fan connecting with other fans. Um, and here's the kicker, ladies and gentlemen, because this is going to kick you in the, in the, in the genital area. Um, the future of this is that dreaded fucking word because the name sucks and nobody has ever used the word fungible in their life. I work in it and I don't even know what it means. Um, NFTs is about to open up a gateway for fandom that is 
completely unique and different and exciting as fuck. And Avenged Sevenfold are the only people that I think have done it um, to its optimum so far. But the reason why I want to go in with this is just because it... um, we're at a point in time where I don't think the audience has been educated on what this is. Uh, and I think it's easy to throw tomatoes at because some artists have done it and like the, the product has not been that good. Or the, as I said, the name is fucking terrible and it's just easy to throw tomatoes at it at this point in time. But um, there's a mainstream narrative. Stay with me on all of this, right? The mainstream narrative is wide but is con- like controlled by lanes that we are all on massive lanes facebook instagram the news the newspapers so you can control the mainstream narrative right but nfts what they're going to do is they're going to bring sub communities truly together right and that is to build a digital space for people to live and exist with one another and for artists to serve their community in a better and more exciting way than ever before. And I think that um, basically, Doc, I'm going to Gary V the shit out of the alternative landscape for the next nine months and educate everybody on this because here's the example I'll give you. Uh, Doc, I mentioned Pantera earlier because whenever we're in each other's company, that band come up because why wouldn't they? Um Matt Shadows from Avenged Sevenfold had tomatoes thrown at him for suggesting that we could use digital art and NFTs of the band Pantera to buy Vinnie Paul's house. Now, here's the thing, and shout out Jose Mangan on this for what he did with the car, because I think that this ties in together. Um, Matt wanted to buy fucking Vinnie Paul's house, right? The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame are never going to give Vinnie and Dime theirs. It's never going to happen, right? They haven't even fucking let Iron Maiden in, right? (laughs) Like Pantera's too much of a niche thing for them. And if you give them an award, a magazine show or whatever, no one remembers who won those awards the next morning, right? But if Matt does something really cool with digital art and giving real world utility, to fans for their purchase and making them involved in the process that I'm going to talk about next. If they were to buy Vinnie Paul's house and turn it into a Pantera museum or monument or whatever, and there is a place, even if they modelled it on fucking Vinnie's clubhouse in the upstairs and the downstairs was a bit more civil, you get the best of both worlds of Pantera and all the rest of it, and you affect the real world with the digital world. And I ask you, why would you throw tomatoes at that? I'm, I'm really interested in the answer because to me, like in a crowdfunding kind of way, and also if you've seen the kind of utility, which I'll explain to you if, if you haven't in a minute, Doc, because I know I'm just dropping a massive bomb here, but like building a Pantera museum by giving fans cool, unique individual shit, both digitally and real world, via this new fucking thing it's a pain in the ass to buy currency i get it there's there's loads of teething problems with it but the concept of what it is something like that is fucking awesome or not well so it's funny you brought this up because this was literally what i was gonna um kind of i wanted to kind of end this this conversation on was was this this move on your end to this nf nft world so i saw uh, what m shadows posted and I thought it sounded really cool because the the idea of a kind of co-op, right, of, of people being involved in the community 
having ownership of, of, over it over it i really like that idea um yeah some people so and i kind of post about i post about it oh i think this is cool and then i got the response from some people about uh. just well just the the concepts of <laughs> nfts and and the the environmental problem yeah. with with how yeah. um how much power is has to use to g generate these and i think that's a relevant concern that and that's yeah, something I so. that's something that uh that it's not perfect the space needs cleaning i agree with yeah that so i think that that's something for to embrace it to embrace its scale uh that needs to be figured out how to be done yeah. more ethic ethically um they, they and, are working on it as well though to know, their credit like and, I, but I agree with it with where we are right now and i think there's a massive difference and by the way i'm speaking this from this and really not pretending to be an expert on this stuff i know yeah, yeah, very, yeah. very 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 surface level uh knowledge is to me what avenge has done is very very different than almost anyone else I've seen what 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 they've done and because what, entirely in our what Avenge has basically said, hey, we're making these limited amount of NFTs, and with this, you will gain access to all this other stuff. It's basically like a super fan club, right? Yeah, and yeah. so that is something. It's, it's so much more though. Well, but hear me out. But what I'm saying yeah. is that's tangible, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a tangible. It is access as opposed to just here's a picture of a of a dumb ape. Yeah. Um. And essentially, and and I think people are kind of seeing um a kind of capitalistic cynicism, especially from a top from top. I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about the broader idea. No, no, no. Team. I think is I think it's a valid a, point. A top like, down. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with what you're saying. Uh, celebrity rush. Yeah. Right. To be yeah. kind of and whether that's Matt Damon in the crypto.com uh commercial or this, in the middle of the UFC. So weird. Yeah. Or this super weird interaction between Jimmy Fallon and um Paris, Paris Hilton. Hilton that I think people Illuminati confirmed. Yeah. Where where people feel like it's um, you know, I I'm a I'm a kid of the nineties and I remember there was this big rush around you know, comic books, right? Superman, Death of Superman and- Pogs. And yeah, uh, baseball cards, right? That everyone, you know, once you take something that people buy for the sole purpose, yeah. they think it's going to be worth money in the future. And then everyone does it. It almost ends up devaluing it, right? If, if they sell, sell well, 1.5 million copies of the Death of Superman, how is it going to be worth anything, right? Yeah, so, exactly. So, it's, so I think there is a certain amount of, cynicism around the idea that this is a celebrity cash grab or or pyramid scheme that i think is relevant um but i do think that is vastly different from what event sevenfold is, is doing and, and can i just ask what is yeah. your role within all of this yeah uh, like uh, uh let me let me address the point that you just made because I think it's so important because my skin is thick enough. I'm the, the guy that's willing to go front and centre and take all the bullets and all the rest of it for that. The cynicism. Like, I don't think people are aware enough of what you can get back for your money, right? So Events Enfold had sold, I think it's about six or 7,000 of their 10,000 death bats. And out of nowhere, right, you got airdropped. Bink! 
a bit of digital artwork. Great, just a picture. Way, right? I can hear you. But here's the thing. It was based on, I, I think, like, its idea was similar to something that Damien Hirst did, which was uh, Damien Hirst is a British artist, and he made 100 paintings and took photos of them, and you bought the NFT and you had a deadline. And by that point in time, you had to decide whether you wanted to keep the digital art, and he would send you a video of him setting fire to the physical art, or you could get sent the physical art in exchange for the digital um, art. Doc, which one would you do, mate? So wait, so explain this paradigm. I I get, I either get the digital and the original is burned, or I get yep. the original. And the digital is gone. Like, gone. oh, I'd rather have the real art. Right. Okay. Cool. Well, every time you do that, that digital art go like goes away. So if I've kept my digital art my fucking digital art becomes worth more because you're all burning yours, right? Whereas on the flip side, you've got a fucking real world bit of Damien Hurst art. Well, my, well, the, point, the point being that there's no losers in that situation. Either the value of it goes up and you can sell it over time or keep your digital art if it's valuable to you, or you've got a fucking real world Damien Hurst on your wall and only a certain amount of people are going to have them because some people have kept the digital art and had their art set fire to. Everyone wins. Well, I, I'd say what's more valuable. Well, theoretically, I can have a copy of your digital art that yeah. is, is no different. And by the way, there are copies yeah. of in prints of real world artwork as well, right? It's not like yeah. that's it's only exists in that, yeah, in that in that in that space. So, um, so yeah, I make you right. So you can right click save that, right? But here's the kicker. Here's what Avenged Sevenfold have done, right? So we wake up with absolutely no prior warning or whatever. Bing, Avenged Sevenfold have dropped you a digital NFT. Okay, cool. Um, well, here's what you can do. You've spent $300 on a death bat, say. Um, you've just been airdropped a pair of tickets to an Avenged Sevenfold show wherever you are. You have to burn the digital art so it's gone forever. But in exchange, you get two tickets for an Avenged Sevenfold show. So inside the first two weeks that you even own the death bat, you've made $200 back that you just spent on an Avenged Sevenfold ticket for your money, right? This is what I mean in terms of people need to know this kind of stuff, right? Because if you've spent $300, oh, that's a lot of money for a JPEG. Uh, is it now? Is it now? And that's in like fucking the first month it's on sale. But that's so what I'm saying. Over time, There's, yeah. they, 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 ha they are using that as a portal of access yeah. to other gets, things. And that's... Yeah. And to me, that idea is brilliant. I'm sure many will copy it. Uh, yeah, because... but so they should. So they should. It's a model for you all, yeah. right? I don't think Avenged are precious about this. This is a gateway to the future of not only how it is for an artist, but for fandom as well. Because here's to answer your question that you asked me, how do I fit into it all? Um, I took Matt uh, M. Shadows uh, an idea that is for a monthly podcast, right? And Matt's spoken about it in the press, so I don't feel like I'm saying anything out of turn here. We're going to do a monthly podcast. It's the official Avenged Sevenfold podcast. All the Death Bats Club know about it. And it's once a month we're going to cover an Avenged Sevenfold song in a kind of ESPN 30 for 30 
um, fucking song exploder style nice. of show. Uh, for everybody, for literally everybody, everywhere is going to be able to get it. Um, I think we're working on getting them to put it on the front page of their Spotify as well. So it'll be easy to find. Um, so, but here's where it goes from there. The idea is behind Doc. Again, I know I'm talking your language here. The sad but true Pusshead Metallica shirt, right? Like the second you see that design, the two skulls on a chain, you go, oh, that's the sad but true shirt or the mummified baby. You go, oh, that's the one shirt, right? So each month, this song that we cover is also going to have a bit of artwork that's going to be a T-shirt that's going to be available for a limited amount of time. Um, but here's where it ties into the NFT culture. And this is where um, me being quite working class comes into this, right? I know out there that there will be kids that have spent $300 on an Avenged Sevenfold Death Bat because the band are all in. They don't really understand it, but we're in it together and here it is i've bought in and now they're seeing the value of it and they're getting the value of it but that was their intention in the first place they just wanted to support the band well let's say that bit of artwork every single month uh, the official artwork to that song forever every pun intended there um gets airdropped to one of our ten thousand uh death bat holders for free so that kid who spent $300, suddenly he's got the one-of-one one artwork for backcountry. And even if that means nothing to him, right? If he's like, cool, I don't really care about digital art, that kid's probably just earned a couple of thousand dollars, right? And I ask you again, this is what people need educating on. And when things are on the blockchain and all the rest of it, it's like, well, the way you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, right? Yes. Right. Well, when I was growing up, I used to think Larry was a right snobby arsehole. And now as I've grown older, there's bits where I agree with Larry, right? It's a hit and miss with how I see him. But one of the things that's interesting is if I go on Twitter, right? And I go, mm, nom, nom, nom. I've just had a lovely donut. Someone could go, fuck your donut and shove it up your arsehole, bees, right? And I'm like, what the fuck, man, right? But if, I'm, if I've got my NFT, which I'm going to start calling a digital passport, because that's what it is, right? Uh, if I use my nft slash digital passport for my donut enthusiasts group and i live in there and i go yo i just had this donut from here and it was really nice and someone goes yeah that one's all right but have you tried this one in here because when larry talks about his golf club and wanting to be around like other people doc when you go to bed at night when you look at your phone and you see the hours that you've spent and everybody out there you as well right if you look at your phone and you see how much time you've spent on it, you already spend half your time in the digital landscape, right? So what you might want to do is buy into a community where you can have a more pleasant experience, a more pleasant, placed experience for your digital landscape where you don't have to put up with that kind of shit. And when it comes on the blockchain and all the rest of it, and they got all your details, um, this generation ain't taking no shit, man. Like you do that in the future and you fucking send a dick pic, for example. Let's say someone sends a dick pic to a girl, right? There's no real world fucking consequence for those pricks today, right? They do it and they just get away with it. And that's why it happens so much. But if you're on, if you're in these kind, if you're in this new world, right? And that's where you spend your time. Like I like AEW, so I spend some time there. I like um, Sepultura, so I spend some time there. And I like A24 movies and I spend some time there, right? If you spend a dick pick, if you send a dick pic to someone and you are caught, then we have the opportunity to kick you out of those places, 
there are real world consequences for your actions. And if you live in that landscape and we've got all your details and all the rest of it, it's easier to police this kind of thing, I think, in the future. I mean, God, this is like when David Bowie does that um, thing where he's talking about the internet and the possibilities, like both ways. That's the utopian way. I don't know what hell looks like, but Jesus Christ, I can imagine, right? Um, But where we sit right now, as far as the alternative landscape is concerned, I just think that if you're an Avenged Sevenfold fan, once a month now, you have the opportunity to win that. We're making a podcast for you. Um, Like in theory, in future, like you just get the snippets from the ESP for the ESPN style idea. But in the future, we'll probably give the Death Bat holders like the full interview because I've done like an hour a piece at this point with the guys. And if you're an Avenged Sevenfold fan, man, they are I, I like I'm I'm really hard on myself for my work. It's something that people don't know about me because I'm really self-confident, right? But I'm really I take one thing seriously, as I'm sure you can tell, right? And that's my work. I'm really serious about it. And um I think that uh this is a time where we can really stand up and do something exciting and make a more pleasant and cool experience for fans where they can earn back as well as give forward so bands get the opportunity to give back and it's um it's a pretty special thing that i think and it's the start of something and hey you might be like fuck this guy he's an nft i understand right i totally get it like this is this is a long burn but i'm dead serious about this if i can do you want me to talk from a music business perspective for one sentence doc sure all right Um, It is my opinion that everyone who is creative has got nothing to worry about when this tsunami comes, right? If you're creative and you're in a band, then you get to monetize your audience better than ever before and do cool things for them on a more intimate fashion because you can connect so easily via all this technology. Um, If you're a fan, like... I can't tell you the kind of ideas I'm giving some of the the coolest people in rock music right now. But like from an artist perspective, what is possible from a real world utility and a digital art perspective? Because it's coming, man. But on my Apple Watch, you can put your thing that's yours. And there's a difference between the death bat that everyone sees on all the Avenged Sevenfold T-shirts and my fucking death bat now. Right. It's just it creates a psychological difference. And I know that is so fucking like, oh, I don't want this. I just want the real world for some people. And I get it, man. And I get it. But as someone that was a lonely, only child in South London who's never fit anywhere in their life. Right. That's how I've always felt. Um, the fact that now via these properly policed digital communities, like the best thing about Twitch and all the rest of it is people find family, man. Like when I was fucking broadcasting during the pandemic, it felt like broadcasting during the blitz. But what we were doing was on a Friday night, creating the rock club that we all wanted to go to. So yeah, you live fucking you know, all the hits, killing in the name or fucking whatever, that duality. But we'd also play Cancer Bats and we'd also play like fucking, you know, the Dirty Neil and all these bands that we're really excited about. Spirit Box at the time before anyone had heard of them, right? We were playing these bands that we were serious about. And as a community, at the end of it, when we went boom, the end, and we went to the Discord, everyone felt like that had a night out. And that's special. That's real, right? And I know that is way too fucking blade runner for some people i get it man because this culture ain't for anyone but if you're on your todd and you don't feel like you fit in and you're a bit of a misfit like 
I always say coming to Los Angeles, like being quite eccentric and flamboyant, it meant so much to me to move here because people get me here in a way that they never did back home. And I think this is a digital version of people can just find other people like each other because not everyone fits, man. Not everyone looks the right way or feels like they fit because of like something they live with or whatever. Like, sorry, this is the first time I've done these interviews. So you have to bear with me a second, but like people can find one another. We've seen it via the DWP channel. Like those people are my friends now. Digital friends are real friends. If you spend that much time with them, the chances are you probably spend more time with them than you do your in real life friends. This is real, man. And the mainstream arc and narrative uh, and all this bullshit is going to be really bad about it because they can't control a narrative that is loads of fucking little subcultures that are a bit more utopian. They, You've seen the social dilemma, man. They're starting wars, real yeah. talk. Yeah, well, this evolution potentially digitally fucks that conceptually because it's so hard to get a mainstream populace angry via the digital landscape when they're all living in a... A, a community that makes them want to feel better about themselves instead of hate themselves. That is just my take. Well, that's a, that is a lot. And I definitely, um, am kind of trying to tread these waters, um, as best I can, you know, with the, the limited knowledge I, I do about it. But, uh, I think that's, I think people are going to appreciate your, your perspective on it. And obviously I'll take uh, the bullets as well. I get it, man. I get yeah. it. If you're not in, I totally understand. Oh, I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm to some degree, I'm agnostic on it because yeah. I'm, you know, I will see, think, right. I think I have some elements of my personality that are, that, I, I have a, a small Luddite in me and I have a small yeah. tra tra trailblazer in me. And, and so it's just about kind of going with the flow and seeing where these things go. I'm I'm probably not as uh, much of a, what's it called? A, a maven, which is, you know, someone who's a who's an early adopter of technology as I'd, I'd probably like to be. But the people that are willing to take those risks usually are the ones who, who get the most benefits when it tends to work out. But uh, he who dares, Rodders, he who dares, people from the UK will know what I'm on about. Well, I anyway, I, I, I think this is super fascinating and I just really appreciate you uh, taking your time to be on this show. I'm, I'm, it got to be on your show, you got to be on my show. You're, I love uh, your show, Doc. Oh, thank you. Thank you so real, much. Real talk. Like, if you're a listener to this show, Doc had a really fucking original idea really early in the game. And I, I like, I'm known for saying, like, not cool things about the media, right, over the years. Again, not who I am these days. But what I really do want to do is raise voices like yours. Your fucking show idea is really unique and amazing. People like you and Jaster and New Wave people like Nick Nocturnal and those kind of people, it's cool to see a a better and more um something i can believe in from a media perspective so like just while i'm here while you're doing your outro sorry i talk a lot i just i just want to say like you do some fucking amazing shit and i'm really like i'm really fucking happy for you because you're a good human as well thank you so much brother well is there anything uh any well, where should people go to just check check out your stuff where do they where they find the good stuff so just come and see me on social media. Follow me at TerryBees666 because um, my job is a little bit less presentary at the minute. You can find me twitch.tv slash moshtalks every Saturday doing New Music Saturday while time allows because the thing is, like, 
I've taken more big meetings in the last two weeks than I have done in the five years that I've been here. And so my life and the what you know of me is going to change a bit because in wanting to change the culture and in interest of what we were talking about earlier, wanting to come here and change rock music, like it feels like this is a place where the biggest players in the game are willing to make rock music exciting again. And that's, I live for that shit, Doc Coyle. <laughs> right on brother well good luck with everything and you know you're taking the big meetings pretty soon you'll you'll be streaming from your your castle on a mountain all right and- <laughs> yes mate i want to be i want to be the first streamer on the moon in an arsenal shirt <laughs> <laughs> all right brother i'll see you around all right thank you so much love you man catch you soon peace
So you just heard the song Aj by Bloody Wood. And yeah, man, that shit's pretty damn sick. And there's another track, the opening track on that album, just came out this year. How have I not heard this band? See, see, Doc Cole be fucking up sometimes. So my apologies. I got to educate myself properly in the future. Hope you enjoyed the conversation with Mr. Terry Bees Beezer. Let's call him the Bees. Uh, he's the man. He's so, ooh, he brings, he brings the, the heat. He brings the fire and he's here to change the game. And that is extremely admirable. And I'm proud to call him a, fi- a friend. And, uh, that was a lot of fun. It's always fun to chat with him. So I'm losing, losing a little steam right now. It's, it's late here. My feet are cold. LA, it'd be summer one day, winter the other day. It, it's, it's very confusing around here. So we're just going to make it day by day. Uh, you know, I have some things I want to talk about, but you know, I'm shot. <laughs> oh my God. I am, I am pretty shot, but that's what it is. Sometimes you just, you push to the limit and tour is about to start and I'm nerve wracked, but you know, I'm ready to kick some ass. I'm ready, ready to go out there and give the people what they want. It's very exciting. The band's sounding great. And I can't wait for you guys to see this shit, man. Damn. It's buck wild. It's buck wild. I don't know. Over overwhelmed by all this all the stuff. So, all right. I'm gonna get out of here. I wasn't I wasn't I wasn't gonna talk about some stuff. I was like, you know what? It's it's probably not gonna be very eloquent. And as you know, I'm known for my eloquence <laughs> on my better days. Anyway. Hope you all, do y'all watch uh, NBA All-Star Weekend? That was, a, that was a fun game. Got to talk a little about the hoops. The NBA 75, that was interesting. I don't know about Earth, Wind, and Fire. We might have to, I'll be trying to put them out to pasture. <laughs> I love me some Earth, Wind, and Fire. I'm just saying, it's, you know, we're getting getting long in the tooth. But I but I love them. I love and respect them. You know, Bootsy. Give it, give it up for Bootsy. All right, I got to go. Love y'all. Mamba's out. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.